Welcome, everyone, to the Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. We're going to be talking about Ireland as a jurisdiction today, which I'm sure you may think of as a relaxed or corporate-friendly tax jurisdiction. And that makes sense. It's a reputation it's built over the last several decades, even since releasing transfer pricing rules around a decade ago. Also, in recent headlines, which you may have heard, possibly through a very informative transfer pricing news podcast, like our shorter sister program, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, that Ireland did just win a case against the EU Commission, sparing it from collecting billions from Apple. But make no mistake, Ireland is cracking down on transfer pricing regulations, and we'll talk about the finance bill that passed in December 2019 that overhauled the country's transfer pricing rules. Here to discuss is cross-border solutions own transfer pricing expert Pamesh Sharma based in the UK. And one quick note about CPE credits. You can earn one just for listening to this podcast. Just listen for the three code words we're placing throughout this episode and send all three to all one word, the Fiona show at xbs.ai. Again, that's all one word, the Fiona show at xbs.ai. But first, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. The coronavirus is making life harder for everyone, even transfer pricing practitioners. I mean, there are so many questions to be answered. How do you handle comparables when so many companies have closed? What will 2020 do to multi-year averages? How should companies account for losses? If only there were somewhere to turn for guidance. Well, soon there may be. The OECD is considering guidance in the form of frequently asked questions, that is, about how to apply OECD guidelines to problems caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The OECD is still gauging whether there is enough interest and capacity to issue the guidance, but if the project gets green lit, help could be on the way later this year. There may be doubts over the arm's length principle's future, but the EU General Court seems to have no doubt about what it means for the present. Over the last few years, the EU Commission has accused many states of providing aid, i.e. competitive advantages, to various multinational companies. And the courts have relied on the arm's length principle to determine if and when that aid really exists. The Court of Justice turned to the arm's length principle in the cases of Starbucks and Fiat, concluding not only that Starbucks didn't receive aid and Fiat did, but also that the ALP is still the backbone of transfer pricing no matter what those rumors about its future say. Even more recently, the European General Court had to determine if Ireland had given state aid to Apple. And, well, the ALP came to the rescue there, too. In fact, the ALP saved Apple from having to true up to a 13 billion euro tax bill. So long live the arm's length principle, as I'm sure Apple would agree. The introduction of country-by-country reporting back in 2016 taught us two things. One, we don't like having our related party transactions shared with countries around the world. And two, we're not big fans of reports. But did you ever wonder what country-by-country reports tell tax authorities? In July, the OECD released statistics on roughly 4,000 multinational companies headquartered in 26 jurisdictions and found, among other things, that M&Es often show profits in one jurisdiction and economic activity, jobs, assets, and sales, in another. Whoops! 
Another finding in jurisdictions with 0% corporate income tax rates, more revenue is generated per employee. Now, that could be a sign of worker productivity, or it could be a sign of base erosion and profit shifting. Another discovery showed that related party revenues seem to be higher in investment hubs than in high, middle, and low-income jurisdictions. Of course, a setup like this could be a sound commercial arrangement, or it could be something else. Either way, it's definitely a red flag, and the CBCR is right there to shed light on it. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Pamesh, thank you so much for being with us today. Just to refresh our listeners, tell us about where you are and what's happening there in terms of COVID-19. Yes, I, I think, especially with COVID, I think there is a sense that taxpayers are still underestimating the need to review reports in light of the situation that COVID has brought about. You know, of course, for 2020, you know, documentation tends to be looked at or prepared later on this year and in 2021 for 2021 filing. And in fact, now is the time to, to look around the business to see what's actually been happening. Because quite often that memory gets lost because the other priorities come into play. So that, that's a really, I think when I was thinking about this, I think that's one of the things I would take away is, is really, you know, minute your meetings now, have a look at what's happening to the business, look at your internal memos. Because all, all of that helps to construct useful information when you're preparing your documentation in, in you know, 2021 for the 2020 tax year, if that makes sense. Right, right. And maybe something of a subtext in your last answer might be that the importance of note-taking, which I know cross-border experts, whether it's TPU and Mimi or or elsewhere, we, we're really trying to emphasize to a lot of folks out there in transfer pricing how important note-taking is right now. We know everybody's got a lot on their plate, but where would you rank note-taking just in terms of, of keeping that perspective? Yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, but I would, I would say very high in the importance. And, and I think it, it doesn't need to be something so time consuming, you know, I think added to note taking, we have a lot of technology that helps us to understand what's happening. So this could be minutes typed out in a memo through the company's intro website, or it could be, you know, using technology that we're using today, right? Ring Central, you know, all, all these resources are at hand to make quick and efficient recording of what, what's going on with the business and to be able to capture this when we're coming back to uh, write up our transfer pricing reports. But uh, yeah, definitely high on the importance, yeah. 
Turning to our subject for today, that's Ireland. I think we're beginning with a lot of questions about what Ireland and transfer pricing in Ireland is like right now. But the caveat there is Ireland has an evolving reputation. They're not the same jurisdiction that they used to be. Uh, but just staying for at least what the situation is like on the ground, tell us about their transfer pricing documentation requirements and what makes them unique compared to other jurisdictions. Maybe to address that is to look at two periods in time i think you know one was you know in, in 2011 was when ireland you know had put into law its its transfer pricing regulations they were stipulated with no real clear kind of guidance i think you know there was a, an understanding that a statutory provision needed to be provided for documentation to demonstrate compliance with the regulations However, you know these these aren't these weren't clear at that time. So I think in that guise, a, a lot of taxpayers were under the presumption they were really just need to produce documentation when requested. So Ireland had transfer pricing regulations, but no guidance on how to use them. Essentially, that's very interesting. Now I mentioned two time periods, so that was you know 2011. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about this, you know, later. I think there's been a a huge change in this. So in September 2019, the Irish Department of Finance had produced a, a statement which was with the intent that there would be an introduction in, in the finance bill to have more clearer guidance on transfer pricing and documentation. And, and that's been a real sea change, I think, with Ireland going forward. So I think that's that's going to be a change. And just taking a moment for our first CPE code word, and that word is lucky, as in, did you really think we were going to make a CPE code word that wasn't lucky? Now, that specific transfer pricing rules feedback statement that comes in September of 2019 and is passed in the finance bill in December of that year, would we say after that point, Ireland is acting more and more like a traditional OECD member? I would agree. Yes, absolutely. I think this comes on the back of a Ireland having a reputation of, of being, you know, a safe haven in terms of having quite low corporation tax in general. There's been a lot of media scrutiny in terms of how Ireland has been attracting business on the back of its tax regime. There was real pressure, I think, on Ireland to really step up and, and stake its claim that, you know, it, its economic model, its, its tax rules should be respected and therefore, you know, and certainly be enforced and be clear worldwide that it's not something that, that should be open to scrutiny. And I think this was a real test with that feedback statement and the passing of the bill, which I think has been successful. And, I, you know, we, we, we can go delve into that in more detail later on. The, the subject of, of Ireland's change, both in their transfer pricing, also their status as a corporate-friendly tax jurisdiction. I'm sensing from your last answer, there's kind of this tug of war between wanting to be a more traditional member of the OECD, but keep as much of their pro-business tax structure as they can. Absolutely, yes. I think what, what was leading the charge here, I think, is a, an acknowledgement, a clear acknowledgement of the most recent OECD guidance, particularly around Chapter 5 of the transfer pricing documentation rules so that you know that there is nothing vague there i think there is there's really clear guidance there and and i think it's, it's trying to really capture that because i think certainly before the feedback statement i think the only clear adherence to OECD was with respect to cbcr 
because Ireland was certainly, you know, part of that you know, under the CBCR regime. But clearly, the documentation, there wasn't much detail sort of prior to that, which I think we now do have that. Let's come back to Ireland's uh, controversial reputation as a, as a tax haven, as a, as a pro-corporate tax jurisdiction in a moment. Let's stick to at least the documentation requirements for right now. Are there any special language requirements for that documentation? The language requirement is really either in English or, or in Irish. And it's clearly stated, so there, there isn't any ambiguity there. Indeed, indeed. To the extent that they, you know, what you were talking about before with, with all of these changes reflects how much they desire to be a more traditional OECD member. Is the OECD recommended master and local file accepted in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think if we look at the template as stipulated in Chapter 5 of the OECD guidelines, that would be acceptable. Although I think, you know, and we can talk about this later, there have been some additional requirements, I, I believe, in, in the local file, which, which would probably be worth um, discussing. But yeah, it's, it's certainly something that would not be dissimilar to most local file formats. Right, right, right. But therein lies, you know, kind of the catch with generic OECD documentation. There are so many jurisdictions that push adjustments and penalties because they have just one slight change from those requirements instead of, you know, a whole comprehensive different list of, of asks. Is that more or less the, the category that Ireland would fit into? Yes, that's right. I think it's adopting that format with with very slight changes to it and making sure that guidance is, is pretty clear. Yes, yes. Going back to the local file, which you noted was where many of those changes exist. Tell us about those changes in the local file and what makes local file requirements unique in Ireland compared to other jurisdictions. Yes, I mean, the really a critical new item, which is, you know, particular for Ireland, would be for the local file to demonstrate and to reconcile its transfer pricing policies to the statutory accounts of the Irish entity. And that just really means additional work to link up how those numbers in your policy tie into your financial accounts. And that's not something that's been typically done before. There are other jurisdictions which adopt this approach, but it, you know, typically it's not standard. Right, right. And in terms of preferences, are there any transfer pricing methods that are preferred by the IRC over others? Well, this is an interesting and that's an interesting note because with the new rules, there has been discussion more about hard to value intangibles and, and profit split methods. However, the OECD guidance on you know transactional profit me methods and traditional transaction methods still apply. There's no hierarchy, so really it's the most appropriate method that would apply. So I think that that makes things more on the par of most other jurisdictions. It's a case of making sure that, you know, we do our due diligence, right? So, you know, right. the functional analysis is done clearly. So we really get a, a good understanding of which methods we should apply. Yeah. Right. It, usually when I ask this question of, of experts on particular jurisdictions, there's some distance between them, quote unquote, preferring the best method and the more concrete best method rule. Would we consider Ireland a, a best method rule jurisdiction or or something a little departed from that? I think it's, it's, it's a little departed from that. I think that would have been the case perhaps a few years ago. But I, I would say now, you know, it's really, as we've been saying, right, it, it, it's really getting to a level of its OECD peers, right, that, you know, we should be looking at perhaps more appropriate methods as opposed to really sticking a hard and fast rule 
about what we, what should be applied first. So yeah, it's really looking back at the OECD guidance here. And taking a brief moment to give everyone our second CPE code word, and that code word is Facebook, as in one of the many companies who took advantage of Irish tax laws to funnel 12.6 billion euros in European revenue through the jurisdiction in 2016. When we talk about methodologies and, and when I'm co-hosting the TPU seminars that we do here at, at Cross Border, I noticed that, you know, when we when we do the, the 102 lesson on methodologies, it almost feels like this uh, history of 20th to 21st century industries. You know, like oh, your most basic methods reflect circumstances on the ground for traditional industries, manufacturing. Would you say that this move towards the best method or even Ireland's distance from it, does that reflect a desire more for the tax authorities and basically the Irish government at large to take advantage of the 21st century digital economy? That's a, that's a really good point. And I think, yes, I think as, as companies and supply chains get, you know, ever, ever more sophisticated and, and the distinction between a digital company and perhaps a, a traditional company is now getting much more difficult to find, you know, as, as more and more companies are changing their models and becoming much more fluid in how they deliver a product or a service. And I think this welcoming of more approaches to the methodologies reflects that need of, you know, companies being more complex. And certainly those companies attracted to Ireland's environment. You know, I think historically so many companies have been drawn to Ireland that we now have the economies of scale, right? You know, there are there are so many similar companies, perhaps tech companies within the country. So a lot of companies are benefiting from having similar organizations within the jurisdiction. So it would make sense to welcome a more flexible approach into how Ireland looks at its companies and, and certainly how in terms of pricing compliance will be viewed going forward, yeah. Right, right. And and it's almost impossible in, in, in your last answer, you know, for those of us who, who are looking elsewhere around the world to ignore the, the current conversation and the current controversies going on with uh, digital service taxes. It's almost like Ireland's just kind of sitting there being like, well, hey, we're not passing, <laughs> you know, 3% taxes, you know, we're still, you know, friendly for a lot of tech companies here, even if we're not quite the same jurisdiction that participated in what gets called the, you know, Irish double Dutch sandwich. <laughs> Ireland has been known for aiding questionable tax practices. Can you tell us about the double Irish or is it Irish double Dutch uh, sandwich, this maneuver that was largely charged for being basically tax evasion? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in terms of double Irish, it's been certainly responsible for companies shifting taxable income from companies which would have been taxed in Ireland to other Irish registered firms offshore. And it, it may help just to explain briefly how that would work or how it, it has been working, perhaps up until recently, because there have been changes. So... What, what the double Irish exploits are, are different definitions of corporate residency in Ireland and let's say a clear example, the US, because certainly this idea of double Irish really does involve pattern of US corporations being involved in this historically. So to go back to an example, Ireland, when, it, when, it, when we look at residency, Ireland taxes companies if they are controlled and managed in Ireland, which you, you would understand, right? While in the US, the definition of tax residency is really based on where a corporation is, is registered. 
Now, companies have been exploiting the double Irish. A good example would be to look at intangible property. So it's possible to put intangible property into an Irish registered company that is controlled from a tax haven such as Bermuda. So we all know there's no income tax there. So in that situation, Ireland tax authority would consider the company to be tax resident in Bermuda, whilst in the US, if it's a US company, let's say, would consider it to be tax resident in Ireland. Now, what's happened historically with the double Irish is the result of this, in our example of IP, is that a royalty payment which would be made to this company would go on tax, right? Because because of the Bermuda link. And this would happen unless you know the money is eventually sent home uh, repatriated by the US company. And I think historically that's that's how the double Irish has been favored by you know, certainly tech companies of late. There's been a lot of media scrutiny around this and certainly legal cases pointing this out. And, and the technique has really allowed U.S. multinationals to delay paying U.S. taxes, international earnings because of this. And, it, and, it's, and in fact, it's been argued that it's allowed American companies to cut their tax bills historically because of this loophole, if you like. But, you know, that I think that that certainly is the past. And I think, you know, we're going to see, if not already, changes you know, going forward. Maybe the next most indicative headline of Ireland's changing relationship with corporations in the tech world is that Ireland and Apple got some good news in July when the general court overturned the EU's controversial 2016 decision to recoup $13 billion and then $1.2 billion. Uh, tell us about this case and the outcome here and, and what it says about this changing relationship. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there is some history behind this because, as you said, you know, the EU judges have, have quashed an earlier European Commission order for Apple to, to pay back taxes. And the taxes were, 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 were based on the accusation by the Commission that Ireland was providing Apple with a sweetheart deal for perhaps over, for over 10 years. And it, and it really concerned uh, the idea that, and this is particularly relevant to companies within the EU, that any state aid that is benefiting one EU country over another is considered illegal, right? And I think that was the bedrock from which the original case was brought to court. And so what happened is, you know, the outcome of this was, as you said, you know, Apple was ordered to pay 13.1 billion in back taxes and 1.2 billion euros in interest, you know, after the commissioners made that ruling back in 2016. But, you know, what was surprising to, to many of us in, in, in the tax world was that the general court, which is you know, higher up than the EU Commission, had considered this to be incorrect and, and they overturned that decision. So what, what actually happened, certainly to the delight of, of Apple and, and I think to the reputation of the Irish government, that this case was proof that the EU could not sufficiently prove the existence of, of illegal state aid being involved here. And certainly the use of trying to look at the case law of, of Ireland and really break that apart and, and really reduce trying to probably discredit it was really the downfall in this case. So really the, the, the burden of proof now has been put back onto the EU Commission. So, it, you know, it, it is really good news, I think, for, for certainly for, for Apple, but I think more so for the reputation of, of Ireland, which we discussed earlier, as being an economy that really, you know, wants to show the world that it's its economic model and its tax system is credible. This reminds me of a conversation I have a lot at our client summits about a lot of jurisdictions that end up 
getting reputations as tax havens, etc. Great places to take advantage of tax arbitrage situations, saying it more politely. But in the United States, this isn't as nearly as big a headline as it is in Europe. And I think the same thing goes hand in hand with with state aid. In the United States, we don't look at tax cuts the same way we look at subsidies, whereas in Europe, they almost have the or much more similar reputation. Right. Absolutely. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits penalties and adjustments and our technology is available for one flat fee a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant again apologies big four stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions ai driven transfer pricing software it's no wonder we're the global leader in ai driven tax solutions there we go again i'm so sorry big you know what wait who am i kidding sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp And taking a moment for our last CPE code word and that code word is Ulysses as in the novel by the famous Irish writer James Joyce that everyone claims to have read and is still sitting on my bookshelf unread so let me not even try to pretend I'm cool enough to have read Ulysses just returning back to documentation requirements we've we've been over the local file we talked a little bit uh, about country by country reporting are there any other documentation requirements besides your traditional master local and CBCR there aren't any particular ones to point out here other than you know the ones you mentioned but it, it, it's worth stressing that prior to prior to the finance bill being passed back in the end of 19, most Irish companies weren't really generating sufficient documentation, if at all. So we've gone from one extreme where, you know, because of limited guidance, that there were, there were companies really not producing much documentation to a point now where it's been legislated that the master file needs to be produced, a local file or a master file needs to be submitted if you're not an Irish parent. Um, a local file will need to be produced if you're an Irish company. That's a real jump. It must be emphasized here that although there are no additional requirements in documentation, I would say that the compliance burden has really ramped up because it's now been legislated within the tax rules that, that documentation should be produced and also on top of that there's an expectation around the world that you know Irish documentation will exist as well so you know there's there's this double expectation that you know Irish companies should adhere to this there will need to be significant time certainly time in producing and developing these reports but also time spent on reviewing reports prior to 2019. It's worth mentioning that there was an exemption originally back in 2011 when the initial rules were put into Ireland, that any transactions involving transfer pricing pre-July 2010 would be exempt. Now, I'm sure the statute of limitations won't require taxpayers to go back that far, but you know, it, again, it's, it's adding to that emphasis on consistency that companies in Ireland shouldn't really need to review the transfer pricing policies 
you know, before 19 as well. There's a lot of work to be done there. So you know, even, even though it's standard MOS file, local file, CVC, there's still a lot of due diligence, a lot of work to review prior policies, making sure they're consistent and making sure that, you know, companies are getting used to producing that level of documentation now. Obviously, you know, scrutiny is increasing, but where would you say transfer pricing is on the Irish Tax Authority's priority list? Is it moving up the list going into the future? You know, on the back of these very high profile media cases and, and on, on the back of, you know, establishing these new rules, I think there's certainly going to be an uptake in activity. Uh, there's going to, if not already, there would have been an increase in recruitment by the IRC. So for certainly specialists in transfer pricing to review information requests and to start working on any audit cases that will come up on the back of this. So there's certainly a need. And, and with COVID, you know, as with all countries, there's going to be a tax gap caused by increase in, in government payouts. So I think, you know, there's going to be certainly a ramping up of scrutiny, I think, certainly on looking at documentation and potential audits. Absolutely. Right, right. While we're on the subject, has the Irish government or the tax authority announced any changes or extensions or um, any leeway in, in, in their requirements or their transfer pricing documentation that they're asking for multinationals due to COVID? Sure. And I, I think this is something we, we may expect in the near future. I think it, it, it's, it's a wait and see. And I think these rules are quite new, in fact, very new. And I guess the timing of it is with COVID is going to be a challenge. So I certainly would would be looking at the news alerts in, in the next coming months because we could see some probably not fundamental changes, but certainly changes to perhaps timings and extensions. And going back to preferences, we mentioned transfer pricing methodologies and, and the idiosyncrasies there. Um, does the IRC prefer local comparables to any unique degree? Um, I think uh, traditionally there, there was never that requirement for the Irish tax authority. The Irish economy is quite small, so there was always the thought that you know the number of comparable companies are quite limited within a region, or sorry, within a country of, of that size. I would certainly think go-to approach would be to look at Irish comparables first as a best practice, and if not, then to, to look at geographically similar and economically similar countries when we're looking at benchmarks. So certainly to widen that. But, you know, with the new rules, there has been no hard and fast Irish only comparable stipulated, which I think will be helpful, certainly as, as the requirement for documentation is, is certainly starting to, to ramp up. Right. And staying with comparables, how many years does the IRC look at in terms of an analysis? This would be based on three years and usually on a weighted average basis. So there's nothing too different there as we, as we would expect to see in other jurisdictions. Yes, yes. So three is probably that magic number of right down the middle a strike in terms of <laughs> where typical authorities ask for, for years of analysis. Do you have to update benchmarking every year? Looking at the fine wording of it, I, I would say what's really strongly suggested in the rules is this is, is the adherence to the OECD guidance. And I think that's that's the basis upon which you know, we should conclude that I think a, a, an annual update should be required uh, and certainly recommended if not being done already. So I think so far we've we've painted the picture of a jurisdiction that isn't incredibly unique, but maybe deceptively normal where it lies in, in all of these traditional norms of documentation requirements and, and what they're asking of multinationals. But what do you worry about when when you're preparing documentation for the Irish tax authorities? 
I would certainly be mindful of, certainly most Irish taxpayers won't be as big as Apple, but when we look at the headlines, it's a guide. What I would be concerned with is to making sure that whatever I'm documenting is really consistent and adheres to what we would expect in a very rigorous transfer pricing report. Certainly looking at the OECD guidance is really the bedrock of preparation of your transfer pricing report. Always looking in the rear view mirror that, you know, there, there could be a potential tap on the shoulder that these deep documents will be reviewed. And I think no Irish uh, taxpayer wants to have that level of media scrutiny over its companies, and, and most won't, but it, it's just reputation. And I think reputational, reputational damage is, is very hard to overcome. It's doing the boring stuff that people don't see, right? It's making sure your reports are compliant, that there is nothing alarming and that, that is consistent. And you're a good taxpayer and you're complying. I think that those are important things. Well, hey, let's say you're uh, a boring multinational and you're doing everything right, straight A student, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. What is still the likelihood of you getting an audit in Ireland in that case? I would say if, if we were to, to risk it on a low, medium to high, my view is I would say between a medium and a high. Because if we were to, to join together, you know, the changes in the legislation, the, the current situation with COVID, the increase in resourcing of the IRC, I would say that, you know, that's a that's almost a perfect storm where, you know, why why wouldn't the tax authority want to ask questions, even if it's a basic information request? So it's worth being mindful of those that, you know, I would say a medium to high is, is probably a good risk weighting here for for, for uh, something like that to happen. I, I know we've mentioned a couple of trouble spots off the bat, but are there any other or just maybe even a, a priority list of red flags that usually end up in audits for the IRC that you can think of? From what we've been talking about, um, you know, any, any, any U.S. multinationals clearly operating with companies based in Ireland, you know, would be a would probably be a given here, only because of what we've been hearing about in, in the media, from what we've been discussing about, you know, with the case of uh, double Irish, etc. That kind of arrangement is is certainly something which would draw closer inspection, I would think, than, than, than anything else. We were talking about methodology before. They seem, you know, fairly open-minded, not quite best method rule, but how often would you say methodology is challenged in a transfer pricing audit? I think almost it's it's almost a case that going back to the risk weighting, I would say traditionally, and I think even today, I would say methodology would be a medium risk because it's it really falls back on on how good a functional analysis has been has been prepared. And if if a company isn't doing the due diligence enough, that's where it can fall apart. So follow the OECD guidance, do a good functional analysis, and the rest should follow um, in terms of you know methodologies being protected, if you like, from any screw. Right. And amidst all things COVID, when typically imperfect data is all the less imperfect, it just goes back to everything we were saying at the beginning of the show of, you know, take notes, keep an eye on where things are, even if it feels a little overwhelming right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there has been a lot of discussion about how, you know, the economic analysis should be performed and how documentation should be written up in this period. And it's it's really interesting because, as we said earlier, look at what your competitors are doing. This is often a good guide. You know, look at your, you know, if you're a U.S. company, look at your 10Ks, you know, and the competitors 
10Ks, that's almost a good guide is to see what's actually happening right now, because that would prepare you for when you're finally preparing your documentation later this year or, or next year. Right, right. To reiterate a point we often say in, in Transfer Pricing University, you don't want to see your competitors necessarily in your comparables, but you might want to mimic what they're doing in their documentation. <laughs> exactly. Yes, uh, you know, precisely. And, you know, and, and in fact, uh, you know, a good industry analysis and a good competitor analysis is going to involve them, right? It's going to involve your, your you know, your peers in the industry. So, you know, that, that, that that's probably worth a look. Right, right, right. Now, I, I don't think anybody listening to this show so far would get the idea that Ireland is the most scrutinizing tax jurisdiction or the most difficult necessarily, but a nuanced one nonetheless. How do you think technology can help with compliance in Ireland? Well, yes. I mean, I mean, going back to just just the burden of documentation now for Irish companies, you know, going from a something that was, you know, not so clear, clearly defined to something that's now clearly defined in terms of producing master files, local files, et cetera, for all your companies, if particularly if you're an Irish headquarter company. So I think I think technology, anything to ease, you know, that transition is going to help. So, you know, if you if you can automate, if you can create localized reports which can be developed into much more detail to the level that the OECD requires, technology would really help in that. And I think certainly where you can use technology is, is to look at your comparables, right? So having control over how often you can update your benchmarks and looking at different scenarios if you're planning you know, transfer pricing technology can certainly help. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. Thank you so much, Pamesh. We we always enjoy having you on to talk about these jurisdictions, especially where you've got expertise in the UK, in Ireland, elsewhere. This is my favorite segment of the show, which we call a rapid fire round of questions. We call it uh, what we want to know. I know you, you, you might remember from the last time. For question one, are you ready? I am. <laughs> I love psyching people out with that. Question number two, has there been any silver lining for you with work from home procedures and COVID? Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, under, under very sort of challenging times, I think, you know, the ability to be remote, you know, I'm quite quite lucky to, to, to be able to work from home during this period. I think on, on a lighter note, certainly to spend more time with, with family, you know, maybe not to travel as much, you know, and maybe on a professional note is, you know, I've been able to, to really, um, you know, take on 
you know, a bit more sort of uh, reading around the subject and, and which, which has been quite enjoyable uh, for us transfer geeks. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that that's, that's one of the, the, the positives that are, that's come out of this time. What mistakes do you see multinationals making again and again? Uh, yeah, very good question. I, th- I think it's the need to have up-to-date contemporaneous, you know, TP documentation. By that, I mean, you know, having documentation that, that is looked at sincerely every year uh, and preferably where the benchmarks are updated. Quite often, you know, the approach is very old school, you know, in, in the past companies would really just look at reports maybe every two to three years, maybe even longer. And I think now, you know, those those days have come to an end. And also that, that the report should be localized and, and some thought that the report should be aligned to the business, the content and the economic analysis is really aligned to the intercompany transaction. The industry analysis is aligned to the business and the reports are localized. So I think those those are areas certainly, you know, work, work, I think should increasingly be prepared for. Yeah. Something we always love to ask our guests. Everyone has a definition of success. What is yours? Is really to to do the job to, to the best of your ability, right? Um, you know, we all have prerequisites in our job roles, you know, items in our jobs we need to accomplish, you know, maybe because of our reviews and our goals. But, you know, really, really just be passionate about what you, what you, you want to focus on and really do, do it to the best standard you possibly can. Because I think, you know, you know beyond the material things in life, I think it's, it, you know, th- those, those areas of our professional life really gives us satisfaction. Pamesh, thank you so much for being with us today. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And while you're there, check out our Transfer Pricing in the News podcast, The Fiona Show, Hot Off the Press. I'm Matthew DeMello. I edit, engineer, and host this podcast. Executive producer Marilyn Mitchumstrom writes our scripts. Jurisdictions change, regulatory regimes tighten, but may your profits always be routine. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.